Welcome to Core Voices, your space where we want every voice to have a choice. A space where we can talk to each other without judgment, without fear, without that insecurity of not being seen or heard. Reach out to us through corevoices at gmail.com. Check out the website corevoices.org and don't forget to go and follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook. Let this be your community space where we can support each other and work through difficulties together so you don't need to do it alone. On today's show, I am very excited to welcome an incredible guest, somebody who's been doing a lot of work to reshape how we approach mental health. Sharanjeet Singh is the founder and director of Taraki, a movement which works alongside the Punjabi community to reshape our approaches to mental health. Sharanjeet founded Taraki in October 2017 after his experiences of mental health challenges and he's grown Taraki into an organization that prides itself in ensuring that all people across the Punjabi community can access better mental health awareness, education and support. Sharanjeet is currently reading for a Master's in Health Policy Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto, even though he was born and raised in the UK, in the Midlands, which is where I'm from, so it's awesome. Please join me in welcoming our wonderful guest, Sharanjeet. Welcome to Core Voices. Thank you very much, Benji. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful for the work that you're doing. It's so necessary. Mental health is that one topic in our community which has always been kind of pushed to the background. And, you know, at one stage it was almost a taboo for us to be able to talk about our, our mental well-being in our community so please know how grateful we are for the work that you're doing i want to start by asking you what was your what was your inspiration to start the lucky i know it was to do with your own experience but what part of that experience led you to feel that you need to start a movement so for me i started Taraki after my experiences of mental health challenges, which emerged when I was transitioning from home to university. When I was 18, going and moving to a new place outside the city I was born and raised in, a place where communities were different, the food I could get was different, the people were different. But my experiences when I moved out of Birmingham and into a new city weren't particularly easy for me. And so I was going through challenges mm. when I was a student and I was really, really lucky at that time. I might have been experiencing my challenges, but I was really lucky to be able to actually access support through my housemates, through my mm. friends who were there, my friends mm. who stood with me, my friends who created a space for me to be open, a space for me to talk without fear, as you mentioned at the beginning, without fear of being judged, mm. without fear of being negatively stigmatized. They created a space where I could bring my whole self. Hmm. And we, when we really accessed, you know, a lot of support through each other in that way. And when I finished, I was still going through some challenges. And, you know, even to today, I wouldn't say that I'm completely over the challenges I was experiencing, hmm. but I just manage them a bit more effectively now. 
but I remember looking back. I remember looking at people who I grew up with, people in my community back home who were mm-hmm. going through challenges themselves, but they had no access to that kind of support. And then there were two things that really inspired me and pushed me to start something. The first was I saw that little gap. I saw the gap in the fact that there were people who were experiencing challenges, but they weren't accessing mm-hmm. support because either they felt as though they couldn't or other kinds of um, supports had pushed them out. Right. And the other and the other thing was, you know, a really important part of inspiration was my dad. So the first one with the gap, mm-hmm. we noticed that there was this gap that existed. We noticed that a lot of discussion, especially around male mental health in the news, in popular culture, was very, very centered around white communities. And I think that's that's important, but it's not the whole conversation. And so what we tried to do, we tried to actually talk about men, males, men, male mental health from the perspectives of Punjabi men. Because when I was speaking to my male relatives, they were saying, oh, mental health doesn't happen to Apanea. Mental health doesn't happen to Punjabi people. And so really that was the little gap we were trying to challenge right at the beginning when we started. And the second thing that was really, really important to me as well was the strength that not only Sikhi has afforded me with, but also the strength that I saw in my dad when he spoke about his mental health challenges. Because with him speaking, with him speaking openly and with him being honest with me about his vulnerabilities, for me, that rewrote, that rewrote all of the rules around what it really meant you know, to be a man. Wow. Suddenly I saw my dad, you know, the, a person in my life who is so important, a person in my life who I see as a pillar of strength. Suddenly that strength wasn't just because he was emotionless. His strength was because he was actually in touch with his emotions in a different way. Wow. And for me, that proved to me that things could be different. And so the work that we're trying to do, it's based in working with people and rewriting rules that we might assume to exist. And it's thinking about how we can rewrite rules to actually create a society that's more inclusive, more open and fundamentally more compassionate to people who might be experiencing challenges. Wow, that's that's incredible. Um, there's so many important things that you've just touched on there. Um, I love the fact that your dad was able to model for you what what it can look like to approach your mental health in in a more supportive way and step out of the stigmas and step out of the judgment, especially as a Punjabi man. And, you know, that's something I definitely want to ask you. I'm going to come to that a little bit later, if that's okay. Um, what inspired you to want to name the movement Tarakki? Biggest shout out to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, literally. Awesome. <laughs> that's it. You know what? Mum brought me in the, into the world. Mum brought Draki into the world. It's mm-hmm. it is poetic. Um, I literally, I was kind of just messaging my my family and just saying, you know, this is something I think I want to try and start out. And mum was just sat down. I was talking about names and stuff, and mum mum was just like kind of going through different words. And then mum said Draki, and I was like, what does what does what does Draki mean? And mum mum said it's it's um you know Trakigarna, you know, to progress, to advance mm-hmm. and you know, to move towards a better state. And so for me, you know, moving towards that better state, 
going from A to B, that journey in between going from A to B is what we're all about. Mm. You know, it's not just saying we need this, we need that. It's thinking about how are we going to get there. Absolutely. That's, that's so beautiful. And it is actually very, very poetic. And I love that your mom named the organization. That's amazing. <laughs> so the field of mental health is something that is, you know, not the easiest to have talked about, you know. Now we're getting to a space, like in this day and age, in this time, in this moment, um, a little bit more acceptance around it. Um, what have you found to be some of the obstacles that hold people back in the Punjabi community from addressing their mental health? So there are a couple of things. Um, uh, one of them, as I mentioned before, if we're looking at male mental health, you know, with Punjabi men, it's the mm. idea that showing emotion, showing vulnerability is something that's weak. Mm. And so there are different rules that we've accepted to be true over the years and in our lives where we have assumed that if you show this type of emotion, if you're showing vulnerability, if you're expressing yourselves in certain ways, then it's seen as unacceptable, especially if you're a Punjabi man. And we've heard people who have had comments said to them, you know, Bandarban, Sherban, mm. you know, you shouldn't be doing this, you know, mm. just just be a man, you know, yeah. in English as well. And so that was a really big obstacle. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so for us, that was a really big obstacle. But it's one that we have, with our work, seen the most progress on. Because what we're trying to do there, we're trying to actually rewrite those rules. We're trying to say that talking about vulnerability and it, being able to express your emotions in a particular ways, it's not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. Um, and so what's the, what that has shown us is that these rules change. They're not just something forever. These rules are different mm. now as they were 150 years ago, different to three, 400 years ago. And so we have the potential to rewrite these rules for the future. Mm. And so another, another challenge that has, has come up is that often we say that, and I've heard this said a lot, and I definitely used to say this as well. Mm -hmm. We say that you know, older generations, they don't, they don't understand mental health. Mm. And, you know, what I've realized as well is that is one of the biggest insults we can say to people who have risked their lives to come into different countries if they've moved, people who have gone through countless mm -hmm. challenges. Mm -hmm. For us to say to them, you know, they don't get mental health, we need to think about how we're having those conversations to ensure that we're making it inclusive and open to older generations as well. Mm -hmm. Because when we're talking about things, it might be one way of speaking about it but we know that older generations might speak about it a different way. And just as we would everyone else in our lives, if we want to approach people and we want to work towards like us growing and we want to work towards growth, we need to approach people with compassion. Okay. And so when we say, you know, the older generations don't get it, they don't get this, they don't get that. We just need to, I feel that what I've learned definitely myself is just take a step back and think, am I talking about this in the right way? Am I talking about this at the right time? Mm -hmm. And also really just trying to approach someone, you know, as, as a human being, as someone who has gone through challenges themselves, undoubtedly, and as someone who has put their life at risk often 
to mm. ensure that their children and their grandchildren can live a good life. Mm. That's what you've just shared is, it is so powerful because we, we do that a lot, you know, where because there's some sort of a breakdown of understanding or a lack of communication in those relationships, we put a lot of assumptions there. And those assumptions usually lead to that is to say, okay, they don't know what I'm going through. And you, you're absolutely right. I think it's actually the opposite. We can't imagine what they've had to go through. And sometimes the thought of that can be overwhelming for us. And the easiest way for us to disregard it is to just say, well, they don't know what it is. They, they've never had to deal with mental health. I think every single human being in all of history has had to deal with mental health. We've just done it in different ways. And yes, it's part of our responsibility to recognize that. Um, mental health in general has so many stig stigmas attached to it when it's when we're talking about the Punjabi community, Hana. Um, you just, you sprinkled some little seeds there about how men's mental health is perceived in our community. And I think that that is a really, really important topic because it's something that has been overlooked and something that gets pushed into the corners because we think that men are supposed to be strong, unbreakable, emotionless, and just functional in some way. Like they're the breadwinners, they do this, they do that, and they, they don't have to deal with mental health. And we've all heard those different sayings like, you, you know, you need to man up. Boys don't cry, men don't cry, we don't do that. You know, it's women who are the emotional ones. And I think it's, it's time for us to unlearn all of that and reconnect with just being humans and that we all have those emotions we all feel overwhelmed um what was the most pivotal moment in your path to healing from your own mental health challenges so for me it was the point when i recognized that there was something that was going on so just a bit of background, as I mentioned earlier, I was moving from a city where there were so many people from different backgrounds. There were so many people with different experiences. There were so many different communities, so many different cultures to a city where there wasn't as much as that to a city where I felt very, very different walking down the street. I felt very different around my peers, around my colleagues. And so a really important part of my experiences was when I realized that I was actually going through some challenges related to my mental health. When I realized that it was an event, it was an event that we'd done as a part of the Punjabi society at the university. The Punjabi society didn't exist before, but we wanted to create a space for people to you know, speak with each other and meet each other, people from Punjabi backgrounds and people who are interested in Punjabi culture to be able to connect with one another. And the most pivotal moment for me was at the first event that we had, because we had jar, samosa. I was in there giving people food. I was able to serve. I was able to pour people's tea. I was able to keep the samosa warm, all that kind of thing. But the, mm. thing I, the thing I couldn't do, the thing I couldn't do was hold a conversation with anyone there. Oh, wow. And I was just like, 
what is going on? I was just like, why am I unable to actually have these conversations? Why mm. am I unable to connect with people? Why can't I have conversations with people who I know will have some similar experiences to me? Mm. I, rem I remember leaving the room every 10 minutes, checking the football scores on my phone and just thinking, what am I doing, man? Why can't I, why can't I do this? Why, why am I just being so... I was thinking to myself, why am I being so weak and all these kinds of things? Why am I, mm. you know, being so cowardly? Which was a really mm. wrong way to think looking back at it. But after a bit, after that evening happened, I thought, I really wanted to go in and speak to people. But there was something that was stopping me from doing that. And mm. that was the point when I realized, I need to talk about this. I need to try and seek some help around this because it's stopping me from living my life how I want to live my life. Right. And people say and people say to me they say do you regret leaving, you know, do you regret, you know, um going to uni in that city, all this kind of thing. And my answer is no. Because mm. it was incredibly difficult. But had I not done that, had I not experienced these things and had I not been so lucky as to find the support I did, I wouldn't be doing any of the work that I'm doing today. Mm. And so that was the really important moment for me because without that without that first recognition from me all of this wouldn't have happened right and that's that's so admirable for you to have had that self reflection um purpose is everything in life right and it just it makes it a little bit easier to deal with when we know that we can use our own pain to help others. How did that feel for you when you realized that? I think that this is something I almost think about every week, every couple of weeks or so. Mm -hmm. It's just thinking about when we're lucky, when we are privileged to experience happiness, experience contentment, experience all the things that life can throw at us. Mm -hmm. When we're able to actually do these things, for me, a really important thing is thinking about who can't do this and who hasn't got access to this. Mm -hmm. And so when I was experiencing my mental health challenges, especially around that time, my focus was, let me look after myself. But a part of me looking after myself is through Seva. A part of me is serving. A part of me is duty bound to the communities in which I grew up. Mm. And so when we started Turkey, Turkey wasn't just me kind of creating a space where other people could seek support, but it was also a space where I could bolster my own support as well for myself. Mm. Because serving others is such an important part of how we engage with each other, but also how we build ourselves on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's impossible to split those two. And in my experiences, you know, I'm incredibly grateful that I've been given this opportunity to try and take this conversation further and to mm -hmm. try and create change, which will hopefully lead to better lives for people, better lives for their families and ultimately for our world more widely. Mm. And what, what was that moment when you realized that, that it was through your own struggles that you wanted to to try to create that support system for others as well? What was that moment? So I guess it was 
when I was seeing a lot of male mental health discussion, as I mentioned earlier, where there was a lot of male mental health discussion, but there wasn't really anyone who looked like my chachaji, my tayaji, my male family members, and all this kind of thing. And every time I spoke to them about mental health, it would be a conversation that was brushed aside. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the moment when I thought that something needed to change was when I saw this gap, because there was part of society where this conversation was going forward. There was part of the society where people were talking, people were accepting, and people were moving towards healing in different ways. But then I saw the people who weren't actually engaging with that. And I thought, you know, it's unfair that this gap is developing. And so let's try and make sure that the people who aren't engaging in those conversations, maybe because they don't want to, or also maybe because they feel excluded by those conversations, let's have another conversation where we can pull people together, we can make an inclusive space, and we can try and drive forward mental health discussion within the communities where it's often left behind. So, so important and so incredible. Um, this is something that needs to happen everywhere globally. And I'm grateful to see a young Punjabi man step forward into this space and not be ashamed to talk about mental health and to help exactly what you're doing, reshaping how we approach it and normalizing the conversation because it's something that we all need. The, the generation to come, the generation before us and the current generation, we all need to know how to have these healthy conversations. Um, what would you say are the common misconceptions about mental health that you'd like to speak to? So I think the first one that comes to my mind is we often see statistics that three out of five people will experience a mental health challenge each year mm -hmm. or a mental health problem. But it's important to know that just as we all have physical health, we all have mental health. Mm. Whether we're in a place where we feel content with our mental health, whether there are issues or challenges we're experiencing, mm -hmm. we all have mental health and we all have the potential to go through mental health challenges. Mm -hmm. And so when we think that, oh, this is just a certain part of the population or this isn't for me, this is just for them, or when you hear someone speak and say, oh, we can't go through this. That's one of the real things I want to try and think about. That's one of the myths I really want to try and bust because all of us have mental health and all of us, as well as being in good and uplifting places, can also be in challenging places as well. And so when we see someone or when we engage with someone who might be going through difficulties, we need to approach them with so much compassion. We need to approach them knowing that this can happen to anyone and this could very easily happen to me. Mm, and if, absolutely. if I was going through this challenge, I would want people to approach me in a way that was looking out for my well-being. And so if we find people or we're engaging with people who are also going through challenges, we need to embrace them with open arms and try and create the best space possible for them to feel supported. Mm. So that's the first myth. I guess the second myth, it links into some of the stuff I've been saying around male mental health and seeing emotion and seeing vulnerability as a weakness. Mm -hmm. As we've said, you know, sometimes we look at emotions such as, you know, sadness, fear, 
um, you know, uh, despair, all these different kinds of things. We look at that and we say, if we talk openly about these things, we're seen as weak. Hmm. But one of the things I really want to push forward, and it links into our Sikh history as well, the, the gurus, people throughout Sikh history have shown us a wide range of emotions and have shown us the power of these emotions, no matter what type they come into. Hmm. And so when we say that vulnerability is something that's weak, it's actually not a weak thing. If anything, mm-hmm. it's a sign of strength. It's a sign of bravery. Mm. It's a sign of someone who can be in touch with a side of themselves that can be so difficult to approach sometimes. Right. And so that's one thing I want to say. Just mm-hmm. this is something little, especially to you know um, Punjabi men out there, but also to everyone as well. Mm-hmm. Vulnerability is not something that makes us weak. If we are able to access vulnerability, if we are able to actually talk about these things in ways that are open, we will not only be looking at something that is making ourselves stronger, but it makes all of us as a community stronger as well. Mm. I think that, um, yes, thank you for sharing that. Because for me, when I when I'm thinking about some of the myths, often we we fall into this uh, mentality that somebody like yourself or myself, I work with sick music therapeutically, that when we sit to hold that space for people who need the support, um, we often get labeled as images of perfection. Um, And then we've been uh, dehumanized in a way that we're not allowed to then, or we're not given permission to show our emotions as well. And I think that one of the myths that I'd like to break here is that we're all a work in progress. Every single one of us, and you rightfully just said that as well, that every single human being has mental health. And we can't take that away from our elders. We can't take it away from ourselves. And we can't take it away from people like yourself who are doing excellent work in the community um, to support others. So I think the idea that we have to sit there perfectly, like this is what perfect mental health looks like. I think that that is so (laughs) irrational and unreasonable and unfair. All we're saying is that we recognize this exists in every single human being. And when when we come together, we're able to support each other better because we feel seen. We no longer live in that little silo where we think it's only happening to us and the darkness starts to become a little lighter, right? Because we gather together and there's a lot of strength in community. There's a lot of strength in Sangat and showing up for each other and having these support circles. Just sharing what you're feeling can drastically change what you're going through in terms of how we carry our emotions. So I think that that's really important to put out there that you're doing incredible work and we appreciate it as a community. We don't expect you to be perfect. We allow you to be human and have your mental health too, but we want to be there as a support for each other, you know? And so. Benji, you know, I want to just link into something you said there, especially around um, the, the role of creative expression in this as well. Um, you know, the role of music therapy, the role of ways of communicating that go beyond just talking person to person. Mm. Sometimes we forget that we come from such a long tradition of creatives, of poets, philosophers, artists. And that type of communication is something that's so important. 
Mm. And when we're having these conversations, we also need to think, talking, you know, person to person, that might work for some people, but there are other ways that expression can happen. And so when we're talking about this, when we're looking at these topics, it's not just a one-dimensional thing. It's not just something that happens in one way, but this can happen in so many ways. And that is one of the fun processes of having these conversations. Like there's, there's some mental health conversations which are rightfully so serious, but there are other ways we can have these conversations which are, you know, mind opening. These are ways in which that, you know, things that open possibilities and allow people to grow in different ways. Absolutely. And yes, for me, my my tool has been sick music therapy. That's what has supported me through my mental health struggles and just learning more about how I process my emotions and as you said there's so many different ways and it's the first step is to figure out first to own what you're feeling I think that's the first step right and then is to figure out what tools that are available are going to work for you because we all have different needs and that's why there's so many different approaches to mental health that are available to cater to your needs, right? <laughs> so what what advice would you give to somebody who is currently struggling with their own mental health or knows somebody who's struggling with their mental health? So the advice I give can only be from my experiences. Mm. And I know that everyone will have different experiences. And so I just want to speak to my uh, my experiences and think about what worked for me. Um, and so one of the really important things for me was, one, was rest. Mm -hmm. Get Trying to get as much rest as I could, which isn't easy to do, especially if you're in a really challenging place. Um, the second thing I tried to do was try and put a small, small routine in. Um, I didn't keep to this every day, but I wasn't hard on myself if I didn't keep to it. The third thing I tried to do was connect with Sikhi in different ways, um, whether it's reading more, listening to Gata, whether it's, you know, sitting down, jumping Nam, mm. whether it's sitting down, um, you know, doing part and just engaging in different parts of, um, you know, Sikh traditions. It's that was really, really important to me as well. Mm. But then I also know for some folks, that can be really hard to do. That can be really hard just to jump into. And so one of the things that I found that made the biggest difference for me was the smallest thing. It was just, you know, whilst in the evening, whilst I was, you know, kind of going to bed and stuff, I would just put Waiguru Simran on in my room. Mm -hmm. And as I was going to bed, I'd kind of turn it down a bit, but it would just be going on throughout the night. And so mm -hmm. the first thing I heard when I woke up was Waiguru Simran. And that was just, it was a small thing, but it, I felt as though I was entering the world in a different way, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, I understand. And I guess for, for those who are concerned with their mental health, another important thing is knowing what's out there in terms of support, whether it's your local area, whether it's different types of support on social media, all these kinds of things. It's knowing what's there and trying to reach out if you're able to and if you feel that you need to it's easy for me to say as well but reaching out can be really hard and i know it can be really hard because it took me a long time to reach out mm. and then the other thing for people who might be concerned for the mental health of someone in their family it's 
this is the time where we show unconditional love and unconditional support. We can know what services are available. We can know what types of support people can get outside. But if there's someone in our family or in our household who is going through something challenging, the first important thing we can do is make sure that we're creating a space for them to feel comfortable. Mm. We're creating a space for them to feel less pressurized by the challenges they're facing. We're creating a space to make life a tiny bit easier in the way that we can. And then if someone might not want to actually talk about their challenges, that's fine. We don't want to force them into it. That's really important as well. We don't want to force people. But all we want to do is just create a space where people can come to us for support at any time in their own time. Mm. And so if someone in your family is going through challenges, but they don't really want to speak about it, they don't really want to talk openly. From my position, what I've done in this with this in the past is I've looked at what services are available. I've really just tried to have conversations with people. It doesn't need to be about mental health stuff. It can just be normal conversations to just build your relationship back up. Yeah. And one of the important things I found was actually listening to people. Yeah. It's, it's easy for us to say, yeah, all good. You know, I had a good day. It's fine. Great. You know, enjoy your day, all that kind of thing. But actually trying to listen to someone is, can be really hard. Mm-hmm. And sometimes what we realize is being able to listen to someone and making sure that someone feels heard is such a powerful tool that all of us have the ability to do if our hearing is unimpaired. And so, you know, oftentimes we like to listen to respond. Uh, but my, you know, my dad said to me, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should be listening twice as much as we speak. Right. right. And, we, we, and we forget that often. Yeah, we like to talk. Um, but there's a real power and there's a real, there's a real kind of force in being able to listen. Mm. And that's mm-hmm. something a lot of us can do. Yes, and it's it's a really, really powerful tool, but it's almost an art, right? How to listen, because it's not just showing up with both of your ears, it's how do you show up mentally? Like, where are you? Are you, are you present in that moment? Are you showing up for that person? Your body language, your, your expressions in saying that, I, I hear you, I don't fully understand what you're experiencing, and that's okay. I don't have to have lived it to offer you there, uh, to offer you compassion, right? To just be there and hold that space. Um, it's really important. And I think it's a skill that we're, we're beginning to lose in our community. And um, I hope that people will connect more with this through through Taraki, through the work that you're doing and through other organizations out there that are bringing awareness to this. For me, my training of, of Sikh music, um, Sunia, which is listening, is a huge portion that in, in all aspects of music, listening has a huge capacity because without listening, you can't express. But with Sikh music, it's at least 60% of the game is listening and there's different layers to it um so it's actually an art which is given to us by the gurus to understand how do we listen to ourselves how do we listen to others and when we listen to others what are the different angles that we can listen from there's the literal meaning and then there's the emotional meaning you know the thing that we hear often is it's not what you said it's how you said it 
And it's always the meaning behind the words that carries the biggest impact. So um, definitely that's something we need to explore and something I just want to share with you because um, I'm grateful for what you said and I really resonate with that, um, that you would put on Simran and let yourself be lulled to sleep so that you can be in a state of bliss when you wake up, right? I think that's so magical. And, you know, you were using sick music as therapy. Basically, that's what you were doing. You know? um, and you're using it for your wellness. So we often do this. Um, my little go-to, which only people who have come to my house know this, um, is that since I entered the independent world of London and being out on my own and all the rest of it, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of um, nervousness, anxiety, insecurity, and just like pressure of life. Um, and I needed something to give me ground and just something solid under my feet and to help me feel like I can stand up. And my one constant that I've had in the past 18 years is that in my house, wherever I have lived, there has always been and playing in a loop, unbroken. It doesn't stop. It's, it's on a low volume and it's there. Mm -hmm. And it changes everything. It changes the vibration of the space, like the physical space. It changes your own mindset as well because it's there and it's like sprinkling little gold dust into the back of your subconscious without you even reaching into it. But it's got you. It's that support system right? And you just helped me to remember that right now. And I'm so grateful. I'm so, so grateful right now because it's there. It's happening in my house. It's, it's going on and it's been going on mm. um, for 18 years. And that has been one of the key pillars of support for me through all of my turbulence emotionally. So thank you for helping me remember that. It's okay. And like, when I, so very similar in, in my house, there is Gitan on 24 seven, but I didn't realize until I'd left. And I didn't realize quite a while after I'd left, there was something different about the space I was in mm. compared to the space of home. And it was, I, I remember asking, asking dad, I said to dad, can you, can you get me a, kind of a copy of everything that's on the iPod that we're playing? And dad kind of just got an external hard drive, put stuff on there and gave it to me. And just having, whether it's Simran, whether it's Gita, things that bring something completely different to the room, it's just, it just completely changed everything. Mm. It just made home appear. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned, no matter where you go, it makes home appear. Yes. You could be, you could be somewhere, the most random place but it will bring a sense of comfort. It will bring a sense of contentment. Mm. And I remember when one of my friends came into my, came into my room um, at, at uni and he goes, he said, why is it so calm in here? And I was like, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's that magic fairy dust that I'm sprinkling everywhere. <laughs> everything. That's awesome. And I've never really talked about that. I've never said that, um, that, oh, this is what I do. Um, but it's, it's something that's really key 
to how I operate as a human being every single day because it's the first thing I hear in the morning and the last thing when I go to bed and during the day, like when I'm going up and down the stairs, you know, whatever Shabbat is playing in that moment, I'll be singing parts of the lines as I'm wandering around and it's it's working, it's magic, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes me so happy to just reconnect that right now. It 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 makes a constant loop of whether it's a Shabbat, whether it's a particular Kitane, it makes a constant loop happen in your head as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're always just humming or you're mm-hmm. like with me, I cannot I cannot sing. So like it's always doing things out of note, but it's just there. And like, I even find when I go out and play sports, like if I'm playing football, mm-hmm. I'll be in my I'll be in my position, but in the back of my head there will be either Simran or Keaton. And mm-hmm. I I just find myself kind of it keeps me going in that respect. It's just it's yeah, it's really interesting. That's amazing. It's 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 life-giving. I mean, for me, that's what it is. And that's why my life is invested into this revival of sick music as a form of therapy. Um, but just to add in there, everybody can sing. Okay? <laughs> that's the work that I do. That's another conversation that we'll have off air. But everybody can sing. If you can talk, you can sing. Because in this space of kirtan, which is different to music, it's about your authentic expression. It's not about musical excellence. That's a mm. space of performance. And we were given kirtan as a way to connect with our emotions and keep our hearts and minds healthy. That was the purpose of it. It wasn't about sitting on a stage and being an artist, being a great galakar and you know mm-hmm. appeasing the, cr- the crowd. That wasn't the purpose of the kirtan that we were given. There were at the time of the gurus, there were ragi, the rababis who played in the court of the guru, and then there were musicians who pay, played in the court of the emperor, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They were not the same. Rababis were different to the court musicians. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's important for us to understand that that difference that here Gitan is given to us as a lifeline to breathe again to just release those emotions and feelings that house themselves within us that don't serve us, but we need to release them. And sometimes we can't find words to express them. And that was why Guru gave us Shabad, that we we can use music as that expression to, to pull out the feelings and create the space inside so we can breathe again. Thank you. That that was a really that's really helped me thinking about, you know, Gitan as detached also from separate from kind of performance as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's really helpful. Thank you, Benji. It was for me like I don't come from a musical background. My parents were not musicians or like you know Gitani or anything like this. So it's not in my blood. I wasn't musically inclined in terms of pitch or rhythm. And there's many people who will speak to that, but we won't get them on the show, okay? <laughs> um, and that was when I learned through my own experience that there's a difference between what Gitan actually is and mm. how how it's presented to us. So lots of unlearning for us to do and new learning to, to approach and connect with. But yeah, that was life-changing for me to know that the, the teachers who told me in my younger years that, you know, don't ever do music, 
as a career and here I am I'm like hi <laughs> what you gonna do <laughs> We, we can't take those labels. We can't let those labels own who we are. You have to give yourself the space to become whatever you're meant to be, right? And Guru has a plan for us all. There is no way that I would ever have thought I would sit here as a sick music therapist, mm. you know, not being able to sing or keep a beat, like, what, 20 years ago. So Kirtan is not music. Kirtan is far deeper, far greater, far more powerful because you've got Guru's Shabad and wisdom to guide you through that process. If we just look at the musicality, just the instrument and the sound, that's a different ballgame. We're talking about Girtan, which is the mm. full package, the Shabad, the Rag, the Saj, your expression and your lived experience. you got to put it all in there. Anna. That's when it becomes part of the Jeevan. Mm. So. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's just me like sprinkling my little bit of whatever in there. But it's this is what supported me. And I, I would like to be able to help others relate with what sick music is differently to how we've seen it to be. That's why I consciously um, I'm using Geetan and sick music as separate terms. Ultimately, mm -hmm. it's Geetan, Hannah. But we've just been we've been given something different in the past hundred years. So we've got We've got a different attachment with that word, kirtan. And sick music in the definition that I'm presenting it is using those guidelines of Guru Sahib, using the instruments that the Guru's created, mm. using the rag that's written on each Shabbat, not changing up the rag with a different Shabbat, but you know, taking it in its prescribed form almost as medicine that mm. this is a prescription that we gotta follow. You know, we bow our head to the Guru, we go there to learn we're the sick, we're not the Guru. And we say, okay, I, I bow to what you, your guidance to your wisdom. And we just use those tools, go back to basics, use the Saj of the Guru, the Shabad of the Guru, the Rag of Guru. And all you have to do is connect that with your own experience. There's no way that you won't feel the magic. There's no way that you won't feel the power and the healing of it. So it's just, I think, simple is the best way to do it. <laughs> And now, back to you, Ruji. <laughs> As we're getting to the end of the show, um, I'd like to ask, like, what are you most excited about at the moment with what you're working on in terms of your study and your education and also with therapy? What's going on that you want to share with us? So I think the most exciting thing for me is over this week, we've been launching our report into COVID-19 Punjabi communities and mental health. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we did this report was because at the beginning of lockdown, at the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic in February, March time, we saw a lot of discussion around how black and minority ethnic communities had experienced COVID-19 differently to other people in society. And so for us, we wanted to understand that at a bit more of a focused level. We wanted to understand how Punjabi communities had experienced COVID-19 on lockdown, specifically around their mental health. And so we did research, we did surveys, and then we also did interviews. And we had about 462 people respond to surveys, and then we did eight interviews. And what we found was that 60% of people who responded to our surveys had said that they'd experienced a decline in their mental well-being from before COVID-19. Well, from before COVID-19 to mm -hmm. during COVID-19. Did you say 60 or 16? Si 60. 
60% of people had experienced a decline in their mental health. And that could be a small decline, that could be a really big decline. And Mm. then what we saw within that was there were particular parts of Punjabi communities who were experiencing the biggest declines. Mm. And these people were Punjabi LGBTQ plus folks who had previous Mm. mental health challenges. Mm. These were also first generation Punjabi migrants who had previous mental health challenges. And these were also Punjabi people who had multiple different illnesses at once. Mm. And so what that showed us was we need to also be attentive to the people in our conversations who might, we might inadvertently exclude. Mm. And so we're really trying to think about there isn't just a one Punjabi community. We're talking about a lot of different people with different types of lived experiences Mm-hmm. who might experience things differently from a different part of what we see as the same community. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the important findings. Um, and then one of the other things that I think was really interesting was the main structures of support that were used by Punjabi folks during COVID-19 and lockdown were mm-hmm. friends, family and faith. Mm-hmm. They were the three things that came forward as the most frequently used supports. And when we say faith, this isn't just um, kind of, we we did previous research and it showed that faith um, was kind of two different things. There was the kind of the the contemplation and meditation and recitation side of things. Mm. And then there was also the Sangat side of of things. So obviously in some cases, the the contemplation can happen when you're with with, with Sangat. But then there's also like the fact that people will say, go to the place of worship and be in Sangat in that way. Mm-hmm. And so what we found this time was that a lot more people were uh, contemplating, a lot of people were meditating, a lot of people were reciting uh, different things associated with their faith. And obviously because of lockdown and a lot of places of worship have been closed, um, we've seen that the people engaging with Sangat were lower, but there were still a lot of people who were connected to faith in a different way. Mm. And so for us, one of the things moving forward we're trying to think about how we can best understand that idea of faith within adverse conditions, faith within uncertain times and the power that has, especially around benefiting and improving people's mental well-being and supporting them through challenging mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so moving forward, you know, from our report, we're going to be developing a few different projects around those findings. And so one of our projects that we're doing and we're kind of getting up at the moment is developing an online resource specifically for Punjabi LGBTQ plus folk. Mm. And one of the other projects we want to try and take forwards is working more closely with Punjabi people who are in the prison system. Mm. You know, the people that we often will forget about and the people who we often push away, but Mm. we can't forget about them because when we're having a conversation about Punjabi mental health, if we're not including these people, then we have failed. Absolutely. And so for us, it's it's always exciting. This work is really exciting. And I feel as soon as you think you know something, you're just thrown the other way. <laughs> and this work is great for just constantly questioning my assumptions. Mm. It's constantly showing me how little I know. And I'm so comfortable now with knowing so little. I'm not just comfortable now with knowing little. I'm excited to learn. <laughs> and so it's always good and we try and make it fun and we try and have a bit of a joke when we can but then also we try and communicate you know the serious serious parts of these conversations as well mm. absolutely oh man that's that sounds amazing and 
I'm so excited for everything that you shared and for the for everything that you you've just mentioned now because yes, we forget about so many parts of our community and we are community. We we are all together, we are sangat and we need to show up for each other and I'm grateful that you're reaching out to our brothers and sisters that we've neglected and that we've pushed away into corners because that should not be the case and nobody should feel forgotten in sangat. Um thank you for doing that work what is your your vision for the future of the work that Taraki is doing my vision is that Taraki doesn't have to exist <laughs> why do my vision is that we are able to create space where people can feel comfortable people can feel supported um and people can access these types of conversations around mental health in their day-to-day -day lives rather than thinking this is a turkey event this is a mental health event we need to think about how mental health can be a foundation in the different parts of our lives yeah. we need to think about how people can access support without thinking i'm accessing support mm -hmm. think about how we can support people as an instinct rather than as an afterthought mm. and so the world i look at the world i want to see develop whether it's in my lifetime or after is one where we don't think about mental health as an afterthought but it's embedded into our process it's embedded in how we do our lives and how we live our lives i love that yes yes and i i wish for that world too we've got a lot of work to do between now and then and just know that you've got you've got my support and the support of the whole core voices community however we can show up to be there and to help amplify this message i want everybody who's tuning in who's listening and watching to go and check out therapy.co.uk go and follow on instagram and on facebook as well and support the incredible work that shanti and his team are doing because we need this we need this in our community and we need to show up for each other to continue to do the good work that is needed out there it has been a joy to have you in our beautiful little core voices community today um i'm so grateful to you thank you shanji for, for being here with us now thank you so much brandy for allowing me into this space uh, thank you for all the core voices community to for, for creating this type of space and for everyone contributing towards moving forwards towards listening towards sharing and towards healing as well Um so yeah I feel really privileged thank you so much thank you. thank you and I hope that you'll be back to keep us updated on the work that you're doing and let us know where we can show up and support you in any of the projects that you create but once again thank you Ruji this has been incredible and thank you to everybody who's been tuning in this was Core Voices and thank you for joining us <laughs>